mom? Wow, this is awesome. Porchies, hey. How are we doing? We doing okay? Doing okay tonight? It is, uh, it's really, really, really good to be here with you. My name is Jimmy, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm actually uh, a pastor right now at a church on the south side of Dallas, but we have so much love for this church, and especially for the porch, and for David and the whole crew here. So uh, thanks for having me today. You didn't have a choice, but thank you uh, for it. Nonetheless, um, I'm uh, eager to uh, get into the Word with you uh, in this series. So uh, if you have a Bible, get it out. Uh, we're going to be in the uh, book of Luke, chapter 18. We got uh, a lot of verses to cover. I'm going to read it first. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into things. Does that sound good? Yes, to the four of you. Here we go. Let me read it. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus said to him, uh, uh, called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, it is always a holy thing to come to your word. Uh, we don't come to it lightly. We come to it with um, an amount of sobriety because we know what it really is. We know that it's living. We know that it's active. We know that it's sharper than a sword, that it pierces us. It divides our motives. It, it susses us out, God. It finds us out, it exposes us, it convicts us, and it is able to provide the wisdom to us to lead us to salvation, Paul says. 
We also understand that this word is, in the words of Paul, spiritually apprehended, which means apart from the Holy Spirit doing something tonight, this is a big waste of our time. And God, we're going to hear words spoken and read and preached, but if your spirit doesn't allow us to apprehend these things, we're going to have a stubbornness in our heart and a blindness and a, and a hardness. We don't want that. We don't want that. So we're, we are appealing to you, the kind one, to give us grace as we understand, seek to understand your word. Would your spirit come alongside the truth and awaken hearts? Help us to believe, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, when I was in middle school, I was not what uh, you would call an athletic individual. That was not what you would call me. Uh, there were words that you could call me. Um, rotund was a word. Um, Non-fast, sweaty. These are all uh, words that you could call me in middle school, but uh, athletic was not one of them. So you can imagine PE was a little bit of a, a trouble spot for me. And one day, as I was in eighth grade, I showed up to PE and I found out that uh, we were having a badminton tournament. Now, I don't know if you know anything about badminton, but uh, you should know that slow reflexes and poor eye-hand coordination are not your friend when you're playing the game, okay? It's not gonna help you in this game. So our teacher starts pairing us up and uh, you know, to add insult to injury, I was paired up last, classic. And the guy that I got paired with was a guy named Paul. Now, uh, you don't know Paul. Um, and to be fair, uh, I was nothing to write home about. But compared to Paul, <laughs> I was LeBron James. And so there we were, the, the two last guys being paired up, me and Paul. This was not uh, looking very good for us. And our first game starts and we start playing this really bizarre game, by the way. Uh, this game and uh, game one finishes and we win, which is, yeah, I laughed too because I didn't think it was a thing that could happen. And I thought, okay, well, uh, just downhill from here, I guess. Uh, and we move up in the bracket. Next game happens and we win semifinals. We win. And I look at Paul at some point and we just have this moment where we're like, we're losers, <laughs> but this could happen, right? This thing could happen. And so somehow, Somehow, by God's providence, we find ourselves in the finals. And it is on, man. Paul's swinging left. I'm dodging right. Birdies are flying. We're like two chunky Andre Agassiz going at it. And, and, and somehow, we pull it off and we sweep the whole thing. We win the whole thing. To this day, it is my crowning athletic achievement. It, that's it. It doesn't get, yes, yes. Thank you for that. What? happened? How was that possible? Like that shouldn't be how it went down, right? It, it wasn't like we were bringing something really valuable to the table. You know what I mean? Like, like we weren't great. The other teams knew it. And I think that actually played to our favor because they let their guard down. Me and Paul knew it. And that actually 
kind of loosened us up a bit because we knew we had nothing to lose, right? We had everything to gain. And if this interesting cocktail of our mutual suckiness worked together in order for us to actually sweep the thing, it worked to our advantage to be losers. It's amazing. The thing that we thought would make us fail, listen, was the very thing that helped us win. Now, why am I telling you that story? Well, this evening we are immersing ourselves in a passage that has everything to do with prayer and specifically the the kinds of prayer that God responds to, right? And and I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about prayer. When I say that word, how, how that strikes you, how that makes you feel, but I do know prayer can be a tricky thing for us, right? It can be a it can be hard and, and messy and, and um, clumsy. You know, maybe when, when you think about prayer, maybe you're just worn out, right? Because for you, you're, even when I say that, something comes to your mind, something you've been pleading with God for, it's just not happening, right? And it's been kind of exhausting for you and like, why isn't this getting off the ground? What more do I need to do to make this thing happen, right? Maybe that's you, so that you just feel frustration, right? Maybe for you, it's anxiety. Like, what's the words that I say that turn the switch in God's heart? Like, I I just don't know. Do I go really regal and add some vowels in there? Or do I like dial it back? Like, how do I make this thing work? I, you know, I I don't know how it strikes you. Maybe for you, you're none of those. Maybe for you, you, that's kind of the last place you want to be, the last thing you want to be doing. Because when you think about prayer, All that you feel is that backpack of shame and guilt on you from your life and actually coming into the presence of God, it just feels like impossible. Like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna come into God's presence knowing what I did? I just feel, if you knew what I did, so how, how could I... How could I come to him? There's just shame and guilt around that whole thing. So maybe for you, it's like my job is really not to pray, but to get my act together so that I can finally pray and talk to him. I know I felt that a lot over my life. Well, I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, we're all asking kind of the same fundamental question, aren't we? And it's this question of like, what what does it take to get God to respond? What does it take for this interaction to to be meaningful? Like what moves the needle in my prayer life? What can give me that that competitive edge, so to speak? Well, Jesus is answering that, that question tonight. He's about to show us that the advantage that we are looking for is found in an unlikely place, that it is found in your weakness, that it's found in your Weakness, that when it comes to prayer, weakness is the way. That's, that's actually the main point tonight. Hold on to that. Weakness is the way. That just like with me and my buddy Paul, it's precisely the fact that we have nothing to lose and everything to gain that actually gives us that advantage in prayer that causes his ear to bend low to us and his heart to soften toward us. Weakness is the way. And he's going to show us this by giving us three uh, very unexpected role models for prayer. We're going to sort of peer through three different windows and see what comprises a person who gets the attention of and the intimacy of God. That's what we're doing 
here. So we have a lot to cover. Here, here's how it's going to work. We're just going to do an overview of these three scenes, peering into these three windows that Luke lays out for us. Then we're going to back the camera off some. We're going to draw a few conclusions and we'll be done. So that's where we're heading. So uh, again, have that Bible out on your lap. We're in Luke 18 and we're going to start back again at the top. Verse one, scene one. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Stop right there. So uh, Luke is being really nice to us right now, and he tells us up front what this parable means, which is a blessing to a guy like me, because sometimes I come up on Jesus in the scriptures, and I'm like, I don't know what those words mean together, right? And so it's nice when the author can go, hey, by the way, he means this. You know, he's cutting me a break. So he tells us up front what it is, and, and here's what it is. This parable was told, did you see it? So that we would always pray and not lose heart. You don't have to ask what the point of the parable is. There it is. So that we would always pray and not lose heart. Let's continue. Verse two. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, so stop there. This is the first of our three scenes, and it's a parable about prayer. We learn that God hears his people and is eager to do them good and bring justice for them. And that we, that should drive us to our knees in prayer because we know we have a God who cares for us. Again, that is the point of this parable. That's the lay of the land. But now there's something else that I don't want us to miss because there's something happening beneath the surface here that we have to catch if we want to get the full scope of this moment. What's beneath the surface? Well, think about this for a moment with me. Think about, um, think about the casting of this parable. Who, who makes up the cast list uh, right here? Uh, well, it's a small cast, right? There's two characters. You, you have the, the judge who will be playing the role of God today, right? That's the judge not uh, doing a hot job at it, right? And then you have the widow. And so who are we in the story? Well, if, if the judge is playing God, then who's playing us? Wait for there. Oh, genius. The widow, right? It's the widow. It's obviously the widow. We are the widow in this story of Jesus's. Have you ever, um, have you ever played that game uh, with your friends? I'm, a, I'm like a cinephile. I love movies. Like I'm all, I'm, I'm all about it. We play a game like where, where you go, hey, if, if you could cast any character as like my biopic character to play me, you know, who, who would uh, that be? It's also called find out who your real friends are game. You ever played that game? <laughs> no. Um, I personally uh, like to think of myself as like a slightly stronger Dwayne Johnson. Okay. Um, <laughs> But do you know, and I'm not making this part up, do you know who my friends pick for me every time we play the game? All different groups of friends. It's like they've conspired. Jack Black. <laughs> Jack Black! That is not a self-esteem booster. I don't know if you know that. 
This is a Jack Black moment for his disciples. That's what this is. Wait, you're, you're casting me as the widow? I'm the, I'm, we're the widow in this story? See, I, widow doesn't have the same stigma today as it did then, but just get a sense of this. In their day, a widow was powerless. You hear me? powerless. She was without influence in the society. She was very susceptible to being taken advantage of. She was socially and financially vulnerable. Commentators even tell us that, that not even the land that she would have got from her husband was guaranteed after he died because that land was connected to his family of origin, not his family of marriage. And, and that made her incredibly dependent on the kindness and generosity of others. So she has to plead for the judge. She has to beg to him. He is her only hope for justice. Do you see that? Do you feel that now? And Jesus is saying, yeah, be like that. Do you feel that a little bit more? Does that strike you now? He's starting to see the point apart from, listen, apart from being tethered to the God of the universe, we have nothing we are nothing, we bring nothing to the table. So if we want justice as God's people, we can't muster it ourselves. We're powerless until we look to him in prayer. Do you see that? Jesus is saying something profound. This is what he's saying. If you want your needs met, you have to see yourself as needy. If you want your needs met, right, you want that? Then you have to concede, I'm needy. And man, that's a sideways pill to swallow, isn't it? That's just hard. It's like easy to talk about what we want, but it's hard to say, and I'm needy and I'm desperate and you're my only hope. Weakness is the way. Anyone bummed yet? He's not done. Parable two coming at you. Verse nine. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Again, thank you, Luke. Jesus told us this parable to do what? To rebuke self-righteous people who looked down on others. Let's continue. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, we're looking at a case of someone who is helped by God as they acknowledge their weakness and their need. Are you starting to see a theme develop here over this passage? But now who is our cast this time? Again, a small ensemble. We got two characters again. You have the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let's talk about them. Let's, talk, let's deal with the Pharisee first. Now, this is a tricky bit, right? Uh, because I understand that when I'm bringing up the word Pharisee to a group of uh, modern sort of evangelical Christians, uh, do you have a, when I say that word Pharisee, do, do you generally have a positive feeling or a negative feeling? Negative. It strikes you as negative, right? Which, which means we're totally disconnected from how this would have struck 
his listeners because it would not have struck them this way. A Pharisee was not a, a slur back then. This was their pastor. You feel me? These were their heroes. These were the, the men that you would aspire to be if you lived back then and were a Jew. They, they, were, they were godly. They were uh, obedient. They, they obeyed the Torah. They strived to keep the law. These were, th that's how they were perceived in their culture. It doesn't hit us that way, but it hits them that way. The, this was the hero in the story. Do you feel me? He was the hero when they were hearing this for the first time. So that's the first character, the Pharisee. Second one, the tax collector. Now, again, we got a lot of distance here. Like tax collector doesn't have the same, it doesn't hit us, right? But in Palestine, in these days, the tax collector uh, would have been despised. Why? They were uh, uh, Jewish citizens who were employed by that insurgent Roman government to take money from their own people and give it to the people that all their people hated, right? It's a little awkward when you do that. Now, they didn't just do that. That would have been bad enough, right? But they, what's worse is they were notorious for then taking more from their people than they needed and not giving everything to Caesar and keeping some for themselves and lining their pockets with it. So these guys were hated, by the Jews, right? They were seen as, as traitors and thieves and sellouts and completely morally bankrupt. Are you getting that picture? That's who these guys were. And Jesus finishes his parable and he says, this is the guy that they justified. This is the guy that God sent home righteous. This guy. what would that have felt like to hear, right? It's, again, it's just the sting of it, it, it. The stinger is missing a little bit in 2019. Uh, you know, we don't, like, I don't want to get audited, right? But I don't want to, like, plan the murder of the guy who's doing my tax, you know, audit, you know? Uh, but th th in this context, Man, there was so much animosity there. So we, we, what I, we need to feel the stigma more. We need to feel the uncomfortableness more. Let me try one out on you real quick and see if this fits. Um, 1992, uh, a man by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer is given 15 life sentences for the brutal murder of 15 men and teenage boys um, most of whom he raped and ate. Now, in prison, the cannibal, Jeffrey Dahmer, was handed some Christian literature, a, a pamphlet, a gospel track, and he starts reading this in his cell. And as he's reading, the Holy Spirit explodes his heart with conviction over his sin. He starts to realize the monster that he is. And in prison, in his cell, Jeffrey Dahmer bows the knee to Jesus Christ and the cannibal becomes a Christian, redeemed, justified. Now, how does that feel to hear that? To know that, that if you're in Christ, that when you die, you will be kicking it in heaven with a cannibal. It feels a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? God doesn't respond like that to cannibals, right? Like maybe like overeating food, but 
but not humans. We don't, he doesn't act like that toward cannibals, right? He's not, he doesn't bend his ear toward them. But do you see now? That's the point of the passage. God does do that for cannibals. He does do that for tax collectors and liars and people who look at pornography and addicts and drunkards and every other vice you can imagine. That's what he does. The point of this is that when we come needy, he responds no matter who we are. That's the point. Do you see that? The problem is most of us, if we're just being real, most of us don't see ourselves that way. We can even kind of get down with that, the abstract idea of God being a merciful God like that, but we don't see ourselves as being needy. We tend to be a lot more like the Pharisee in this story, right? Looking, looking at our own record to justify us. That's what's happening here. But Jesus shows us that what we need is not to act like we have it all together, but rather to admit we are morally bankrupt to finally own it. That's what he's inviting us to. I remember it was, um, I think it was 10 years ago now. I was at a, a gas station with my wife. We were filling up the car and the card wouldn't work. A little debit card, Wells Fargo thing, it wouldn't work. No, no gas for Jimmy. And I was like, okay. Uh, so we do the app thing and, you know, see maybe like that we run low or something. And my Wells Fargo account tells me that I have negative $2 million. I was like, Kelly, what'd you buy? What? What? I got, it was ridiculous. Now, now, there was a glitch in the system, right? And, and it accidentally debited to So they gave me back my $2 million. Thank you. I hate when they take my $2 million from me. But uh, they gave it back. But, but what's the point? What's the, what, what did I feel in that moment? When, that, when I saw that number, what did I feel? Immediate despair, right? <laughs> right? This is it, babe. We had a, we had a good run. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'll see you later, right? <laughs> Need, oh no, right? Those feelings crept up in me fast. And that's exactly what God is saying is the posture of someone who he responds to and justifies. Feel that. That's the posture. And some of you guys, you are bankrupt spiritually, but you are acting like a millionaire as if sort of putting on airs will impress God. Listen, it doesn't impress him. Need does though. Need. Repent of that. Come to him desperate for forgiveness and watch him give it because he loves to. We starting to see the theme. God's ear is, is bent toward the needy widow and his heart is forgiving to the sinful tax collector. And as if to drive his point home one more time, Luke gives us one more story. We're gonna look at it together. Verse 15 says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. 
And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Again, I just want you to feel this. This is another one of those moments where there's a disconnect here. See, in in ancient Jewish culture, children were not little bitty bundles of chunky joy, right? They were not, you didn't bounce them on your lap and pass them around. That's not what you did with a child. They, They weren't little bundles of joy. They were inconveniences then. Not because they they were hated uh, you know, by people, but because in Jewish culture, there was a high, high value placed on contribution. What can you contribute to the family's good? If you can't contribute to the family's good yet, then you're of low value to us until you can. And so when they saw children back then, that was the sense that they got. It wasn't an endearing thing. And for Jesus, somebody of Jesus's stature and notoriety to come around and to, and to bless these these infants was, was beneath the teacher of his stature. Do you see that? It would have been a really surprising and even offensive sight for his disciples to see this. That's why they rebuked those kids and those parents. And yet, here he is, Jesus, holding and blessing infants, non-contributors, the vulnerable. And one more time, we're faced with that question, aren't we? How do we see ourselves That's what his disciples were faced with in this moment. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. Do we, do you see yourself, be honest, do you, when you think about you, do you see yourself as, as strong, self-sustaining, important, substantial, or is the first thought that you have when you think about you needy, dependent, trusting, vulnerable, without help. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let that sober you tonight. You feeling challenged? These are our three scenes. These are our three um, role models And this leaves us with some questions to answer. (laughs) Like, like what is a vulnerable whittle, a moral degenerate, and a societal nuisance teach us about prayer? Because that's what this passage is. What do they teach us about prayer? Three ending observations. What does this mean for us? Number one. Your self-reliance will kill you. Your self-reliance will kill you. There's a lot of um, encouragement to be had in this passage, but this passage is also a warning tonight. At the very center of Christianity is a concession that I lack what I need to be right with God. That's at the heart of this thing. That I lack the power to change things in me. That I lack 
the power to change things around me. So to act like you're strong or able or righteous or put together in and of yourself is not only anti-prayerful, it is anti-Christian. The Pharisee was a better man than the tax collector. Do you hear me? No one would have disagreed with this. He wasn't stealing from anybody. He, he was keeping the Torah as he knew how. He wasn't committing adultery or, or, or cheating or doing these types of things. He wasn't thieving. He was, he was being good. And he went to hell. We don't say that in 2019 though, right? We don't talk like that in 2019 because that's, it's just not, it's better left unsaid, isn't it? But do you see that's the point? The good guy loses in that story. And the bad guy, the degenerate, the one who owned his need and could come to God with all of his bankruptcy, he's the one God justified. The cannibal. You having it all figured out before you come to God, guys, girls, it's working against you. It's working against you. Your efforts to be put together and morally pristine so that God will accept you, those things are working against you tonight. It's not good for you. Some of you tonight, you're hearing this and what you need to do is lay down your trust in you and cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus tonight. That's what you need to do. Warts and all. The whole package. You will not gain access to him or find answers to your prayers in your prideful self-reliance, our self-reliance will kill us. Number two, weakness shows off God's strength. That's what it does. Weakness shows off God's strength. I, I said earlier that God is attracted to those who have nothing to contribute. Why? Why is that? Why is he inclined to those people over the people who think they have something to contribute? Why is that? Here's why. Because when I contribute nothing to God except my need, then God must contribute everything else. And when God contributes everything else, who is the one that in the end I get to brag on as having done something good? Who is the one at the end that I can point at and celebrate and say, that's praiseworthy? I'm not allowed to point at me anymore. If he made the contribution, I can only point at him. This is Christianity. If you're wondering like what this whole thing was, like maybe you're here for one of the first times, and you're just, just trying to sort out like what this Christian thing is. If this is it, this is the gospel. 
You and I rebelled against God. Our first parents did it, and we learned a good lesson from them. We keep on doing it, don't we? We stiff arm him at every turn. And God, in his mercy, instead of leaving us, he pursued us. He condescended to come get us in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life you and I could never do in our place. He made the contribution. He hung up on a Roman cross and bled out for six hours in our place. His contribution, not ours, rose from the grave, defeated death, conquered all our enemies in our place. His contribution, in the end, every Christian will never be able to point at themselves. If you're truly in Christ, the best we can do, the greatest thing we can do is only point at the one who made the contribution. And that's Jesus every time. That is the gospel. We're needy. He is the need meter. You see that? And praise God for that. And if that's true, if he's the strong one when I'm weak, if he's the powerful one when I'm not powerful, if he's the contributor when my basket's empty and I have nothing to give to him, if that's true, then this last point is true. When things feel the most hopeless, that's when there's the most hope. That's when there's the most hope. If what we've just seen from Luke is true, our optimism, listen, your optimism in your prayer life should be exploding if you feel like you're not bringing much to the table. It should be exploding and bursting out because you can't, but you serve the God who can. That's who we serve, and that gives us such a confidence. When things are the most hopeless, that's when there's the most hope. Are you crippled by your sin tonight? Man, you just came in, and you're just wrecked, right? And you, you know, like, this week, like, maybe the Holy Spirit's actually been poking at your conscience, and maybe it's for the first time, you're just like, I'm just a, I'm a mess. What am I even doing in this room? You're, you, addiction has you by the throat. You can't get out of it. Right? You keep on stumbling. Is there any hope for me? Yes, pray. Pray, pray to the one who loves bringing triumph out of failure. That's what we do when we feel bankrupt morally. We come to him and we pray. Do you, do you feel like our, when you look around, that like our culture is just like falling apart? Like what, where am I living anymore? What a tragedy this is. Is your heart breaking as, as you're, as you're hearing reports of 3,000 babies a day being murdered legally in our country, does that break your heart and you want to see change? Or just the, the, the ridiculous amounts of still in 2019 racial tension, like the, the, the almost total absence of diversity in the church in America, like, like are, does that break your heart? Do you want to see change? Pray. Plead to the God who just told us, I give justice to my elect. I make these things happen. Are you, are you a person who's just try, trying to hustle and make it happen yourself? You got all these plans, but you're not hitting your knees. You're not doing what the text says. The text says, come to him. The text says, plead with the judge and he'll bring that justice. He loves doing that. Pray to him. If you have broken relationships in your life and you're wanting to see healing there, pray to him. Are you desperate to, to see your friends saved, your parents saved, your siblings saved, the folks at your, your work come to know Jesus? The, the, the literally billions of people who've never heard the name of Jesus at one time in the whole world. 
You, you want to see them come to know Jesus? You know, the first thing you need to do is fall on your knees and, and plead to God. If this is telling us anything, it's that when, the, when, the, when it feels so insurmountable, when it feels like there's no, how could this, how, how could we ever move the needle? That's the best time to plead with him because it's going to make God look great when he starts answering those prayers. When he comes through, he looks great and he wants to look great on your behalf. Pray and plead with him. Come weak, come lowly, but come like tonight, come pray. This is an opportunity for you. You're not here on accident. You're here to hear this word and respond by crying out to God who's eager to show off his strength for you. I am the God, Jeremiah says, I am the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? No, it is for you. It's not for him. Plead with him. We do what that song says. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Nothing. That's what you need tonight. Will you come with that? Because that's all you got to come with. Come with nothing. Let's pray to him now. I'll just give you a minute for the Lord to work these truths into your heart. Maybe just ask him if, if maybe you've got some walls going up in you. Just ask him, God, would you be kind to me? Tear down these walls. Help me, help me be soft tonight and receive these things. If your heart's been hard and, and uh, um, you're struggling and, and sin and failure and, and, you, and you've, you kind of realize it tonight and you're like, man, I just, <laughs> I, I need change but I can't, I've just never been able to and I still can't. Praise God for Jesus tonight. Like literally praise him, thank him for it. Ask him to, to send his spirit to work in you and help you, free you. Cast yourself on Christ tonight. God, we... We have nothing and are nothing without you, but we look to you, the strong one. Will you show off tonight in human hearts so that your fame and your renown would be made much of tonight and forever? In Jesus' good name, amen.